Thanks for taking the time to check out this episode of Desert Island Goals. Video links to all the goals we're going to discuss in this podcast are in the description below, as well as social media profiles for myself, the podcast itself, and our guest. Please take the time to follow us all right now. There is a good chance there will be some strong language at some point during this podcast, just letting you know that ahead of time. And please take the time right now to give us a five-star review on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Cheers. Hello, and welcome to Desert Island Goals. This is a very special first ever edition of this podcast. If you haven't already heard it, I'd like you to pause right now and go to the rest of our episodes and listen to episode zero, The Handbook, which will explain to you a little bit about the concept why I'm doing this, why we're doing this podcast, and what we're trying to get out of it. Hopefully, once you've heard that, you will understand a little bit more about the concept. But obviously, each week with a new guest on, we will revisit it and explain a little bit as we go along how how we're processing this. But yes, on a basic level, this is Desert Island Goals, uh, the podcast which is part fan phone-in, part this is your life. And in my head, I want to tell the story of football fans and people from all around the world who enjoy the sport that we call football, soccer, football, everything in between. And we're going to start doing that today with our first ever guest. So my guest today is Davis Mathis. Davis, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. How, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, man. Um, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be doing this. I think this could be a fun conversation. I like this idea. I'm excited. I'm glad to have you. Um, I guess the first thing that we need to make sure people understand is who you are and where you're from. And so first and foremost, obviously, people will hear that I have a different accent to what you have. Um, but where, where are you from? Where are you raised? And I guess the main question being, what was it that first got you into soccer? Yeah, I'm from Texas, uh, South Texas, uh, just south of Houston, uh, born and raised, Texas boy my whole life, um, still around here, still going to be staying in South Texas. I've played soccer most of my life. I started playing when I was very young. I, my first year I played, I was like six or seven, and I didn't like wearing shin guards, so I told my parents I didn't want to play the next year. So I didn't play for a year, and then I came back when I was like eight or whatever. 2006 World Cup was the first time I really started watching anything. And I watched the World Cup and I thought international soccer was really cool, um, but I didn't really get into watching a lot of club soccer yet at that point. I was casually watching the Dynamo um, because they were new and they were winning. They won MLS Cup those first two years that they existed. And I was into that, but I, I wasn't like I was still basketball first. Like, like basketball was still my love at that time. Um, so I wasn't like fully bought into it. It was I was uh, I was in high school when I really started getting into it. Um, and it was right around the time Dynamo were making deep playoff runs again in that early 2010s. And it was right around the time I, I had a friend of mine who was an Everton fan and I wanted to all be able to talk Premier League with him. So I wanted to pick a team and I knew Clint Dempsey was on Fulham and he's my favorite player of all time to this day. Just I don't think anyone will ever I don't, I don't think I'll ever love anybody as much as I love Clint Dempsey. <laughs> So I was like, yeah, that's where I'm going to pick. Like, I know I knew they had a history of Americans and I knew they had Dempsey. So I picked them. And that was right around the time they were making the Europa League run, too. So I got to see that. And it's just it sold. And uh, so, yeah, I've been Dynamo Fulham, U.S. men's national team, U.S. women's national team. That's me. Yeah. So obviously, the follow up question to the introductory question is, you know, 
who are your teams? And thankfully, you've obviously expressed that already with the Houston Dynamo, Fulham in the Premier League this season. Congratulations again, obviously. You said, obviously, Clint Dempsey played for Fulham, but was there anything else that particularly drew you into being a supporter of Fulham themselves? Just the fact that they had, like, a history of Americans going and playing over there. And, like, at that, like, now there's Europe, there's Americans all over Europe, but, like, at the time, it was more of a rarity, right? It was, like, Steve Cherundolo was playing in Germany. I love Steve Cherundolo, but he just wasn't quite as exciting as some of these other guys, right? But it was, like, at Fulham, we'd had Brian McBride and Carlos Bocanegra and... Um, Casey Keller and um, like uh, Eddie Johnson went and played over there, right? And it was like, I just like, I, I, these were all guys that like I'd seen play for the national team and I hadn't really watched them play for Fulham, but just knowing that that had happened and knowing they currently had Dempsey was like, all right, so this is a team that'll give players I know about and care about. Cause at the time, the national team was like kind of the only thing I cared about soccer wise. So just like knowing that this was like a team that was going to give those players that I loved, that I cared about, that I was invested in they were going to give them a shot at like this top league. Um, that was huge for me. And that was like a big part of the reason why I chose them. And then like ever, like for like, as far as choosing them, as far as sticking with them though, I just, I like supporting like a smaller club. That's like, feels like a tight knit community because there's just not all that many of us. Right. Like I, all this, all these people that follow me on Twitter, just because I'm some Fulham fan. Right. And it's like these people I would never meet, but it's like, these people from London and people from South Texas, like, <laughs> like that are follow each other and talk on Twitter because we both support the same little club. Well, I've been promising you a trip to Craven Cottage for a number of years, and I know we're going to get there eventually one day. Um, I think it's really interesting the point you bring up about obviously Fulham and America having a kind of com combined history of, and for whatever reason, certain clubs seem to have an affiliation with a with a certain. Uh, a certain country and you know I'm, I'm today one of the one of the big topics on the day of recording to here's a spoiler for when we recorded this is Liverpool have just signed Darwin Nunez the Uruguayan striker obviously after having huge success with Luis Suarez another Uruguayan striker in previous history and so you know I, I do think it's interesting that there's a uh, there's a tie-in just certain nations seem to be signed by certain clubs at times and equally um, you know certain clubs will sign a player from a nation and they'll make a big deal about this is the first Dutchman ever to play for X club or first Brazilian and you think how on earth you know these big clubs how have they never signed a particular um, player from that nation before but in terms of Fulham and America you know I think you've spoken to me previously about full America as, a, as an idea of kind of the American fan base and I guess it ties into the question of the national team which I think is really interesting why does the national team mean so much to you because there are certain people, maybe I think a lot of people in England, whose club team is the be-all and end-all for them. And maybe they are big England fans during the Euros or the World Cup or whatever, but certainly in me knowing you personally, um, I know how much the US national teams mean to you. And obviously that probably is a link in with Fulham as well, that you're able to cheer for the same players um, on both teams. So why is that national team so important to you? Some of it is just... The 2006 World Cup being the first major soccer competition I watched. And then also right as I was starting to get into it was the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. So I think some of it is just at like really pivotal moments in my soccer viewing life. And the 2014 World Cup was right after my freshman year of college too. So it was like these big pivotal moments in my like soccer viewing fandom were three World Cups. I think that has something to do with it. And I love the World Cup. It's my, the World Cup's my favorite sporting thing that happens, period, full stop across all sports. 
I love the World Cup so much. It's so fun. I watched every match in 2018 and we weren't even in it. <laughs> like, um, so I think some of it is that. Um, but I also, it's, it's a good time to be a fan right now, particularly. Like there's so many good young Americans around right now, like exciting players that I'm really, that are fun to watch. And it's just a team, it's a team that really, historically it's a team that hasn't been as good as people, but goes in and just fights to the end, like tooth and nail, right? They don't even, usually they don't even get blown out by teams that are better than them because they just go in there and they work so hard. Um, and I think that's that's fun to watch. And then not to mention best international rivalry in the world, USA, Mexico. And I love a good rivalry. So we're going to come back to the World Cup later on for sure. Definitely and finish with that. Um, and potential spoiler alert as we go through your list, we're going to talk more about the Houston Dynamo. So I'm going to park them for now because I want to focus on them a little bit later on. But obviously when deciding to be a guest on Desert Island Goals, you knew that you were being cast away on a desert island or locked in a, in a room that you can never escape from and you were only going to be able to relive, rewatch, however you want to uh, put it, five goals for the rest of your existence. And obviously this is a, a time-stamped list. I'm sure if we ask you 25 years uh, you know, from now on the 25th anniversary podcast, I'm sure that there will be a, a slight change in some of your selections. But as of right now... I'm with the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> as of right now, you've made the decisions of the goals. And so I guess before we jump, jump into the goals themselves... It's a twofold question. Do you have a favorite type of goal? Is there something that kind of stands out to you in terms of that's what I'm looking for in a goal? And also in terms of making this list, what was your decision-making process like in selecting the final five? So, yeah, these are kind of, yeah, these are two different, going to be two different answers for me. My favorite type of goal, just like from the run of play is... I love a first time curler to the far post, just like when the ball gets played and, he, and they just that perfect little one, like every single time I freak out, like it just me, it's so cool to me. I love it. I love it a lot. I also love a good solo goal. A good solo goal always does it for me. I think Josh Onama versus Cardiff in the semi playoff semifinals uh, a couple years ago. But as far as making this list, I would almost describe it as it's just the five goals I've celebrated the hardest, like in my life. Like I just... I was thinking about this list and I was like, what goals did I just lose my mind for? Like, did I just absolutely like goals that are going to bring back feelings of just pure euphoria? Um, so a lot of these are winners. A lot of these are late. And I put a big value on that because that is like, that's kind of how I thought about this list. It's just like what goals just did made me absolutely lose my mind the most. No, and I appreciate that because obviously you know, this is the first five that we've done on this podcast. And I think every single person who comes on here will have a different lens with which they want to choose their goals. You know, some people will say in their head subconsciously, I need at least 10 passes for every single goal. And then, you know, spoiler alert, some of these goals don't have that, you know, and that's, you know, an interesting way depending on what you want to think of. And so I think the feeling of euphoria is, is a really interesting thing that you highlight. I, I can think of few better words to describe why, soccer brings people together is that moment of joy was there any temptation of you to use maybe a slightly more sinister emotion like I know certainly revenge comes into soccer at times was there any part of you that thought about maybe selecting goals against teams you disliked rather than goals for teams that you love um yeah there was I was trying to think if there was any good ones against Chelsea that I remembered um <laughs> that would have been great and there, there was definitely some thought into that and spoiler again 
that when we talk about the Dynamo, a large part of what I'm going to talk about is how much it angered the team that he, that goal was scored against and their fans. And you can see it in the celebration video. Like you could see their fans in the video just being so angry about it. And I'd be lying if I said that that didn't play into it. Um, and in fact, two of the goals of my list, while they are big goals, winners in important matches, they are also against teams that I hate for like rivalry reasons. So that is absolutely an added level of, of sweetness on it. If Dallas had ever lost in like an MLS cup final by like a late winner, they'd be, it'd be real close to being on the list, if not on it. <laughs> so yeah, no, absolutely. There was temptation for that. Eat away vital seconds. Now USA have it. And they've just got to get everybody forward now. No sense defending anymore. Lloyd's got to get this pass off to Rapino. And everybody's got a bomb forward now. Rapino gets the crossing. It's towards one. Let's start with the goals then. So the first goal that you've chosen is Abby Wambach for the U.S. women's national team against Brazil in the 2011 FIFA World Cup quarterfinals. This goal has a lot of elements to it. and We will get into the actual goal itself in just a couple of minutes here. But where were you when this goal was scored? Who was with you? And you, you speak about the euphoria of the celebration. What are your memories of the goal itself? And I think just quickly before you answer those, we should clarify, this was a 122nd-minute equaliser um, that sent the game to penalties, which I think it's it's important to highlight the US eventually won on penalties yes. um, to progress to the World Cup semifinals. Uh, and then correct me if I'm wrong, on to the final as well? Yes, we, went to, we lost to Japan in the final that year. Correct. So, yes, where were you when the goal was scored? Who was with you? T take me back there. Tell, tell the audience why the goal was so special to you. I was at home in Lake Jackson in Texas, where I'm from. Uh, it was my, my dad and my brother. I think my mom was there, too. But my dad and my brother were for sure, the, the three of us were for sure the most invested. Um, and it, like, it, like I was saying earlier, like this was caught me at a moment where it was early in my really getting into the sport days right like the 2010 world cup it just happened the full of europa league thing it just happened um we were dynamo were in the midst of a really good season um and i was i was really get i was really buying in at this point i was really just like i think this is my favorite sport i quit basketball to focus on soccer at this point um so this was like very early into my like really going all in on this sport time and we're at home and we're watching and I've fallen in love with this national to this women's national team through this run um I just really loved the way they played how it was like all the things that I loved about the men's national team but they were also better than everyone else so it was like it was just like this really beautiful like great thing to watch and um when that goal went in I did several laps around my living room before like just jumping into my brother's arms. Like we were just like all jumping around and hugging each other. Um, I had, I was so mad at this point. I, I kind of, Brazil had been um, 
like if I, the, the main thing I remember about this match is multiple players getting like stretchered or carted off the field and then immediately getting up the moment they stepped off and walking back around and coming back in like very clear time wasting tactics which like you know I love a good time wasting but it was pissing me off in the moment <laughs> uh and I, I just remember being so frustrated so frustrated and then the moment that header went in just all of that frustration just exploding in the complete opposite direction We'd gone down to 10, so I was like, I'd really given up. And as soon as it went in, it was not only was it an equalizer, we still had a chance, but it was also at the time, there was no goalkeeper in the world I trusted more than Hope Solo. And like that went in and I was like, well, we're winning in penalties. Like there's no way Hope Solo's not, we're winning. Like penalties are done. So it was like, I was almost celebrating the win already. Like I was going, oh my gosh, I love that goal will forever stand out to me forever. That's confidence and belief and trust in your goalkeeper. I love that. I mean, yeah, it's it's. I, I watched the the full game highlights back last night. You know, prepping for this, and it's a it's a really interesting game because the US go up really early, and then Marta, the Brazilian legend, scores twice. Once a penalty that is actually retaken. The first the first uh, Cristiana misses the penalty, and then Marta retakes it to equalize. And then in extra time, very early on. Marta scores a bit of a circus goal where she hooks it to the back post, which I think would go down as um, a great goal in women's World Cup history if it was the winner. Um, and yet here we are talking about Abby Wambach's header. And so in terms of the, the goal itself, what's amazing to me is that this starts from time wasting by Brazil in yeah. your own defensive corner, yeah. effectively. Um which is kind of incredible when you think that you, you go all the way from back to front, it gets shipped out to the left to Megan Rapino, um, and the back post cross, the one back headers in. Now, the question I have for you, because the the, the issue, not, not an issue, the question I have with this goal is, is this atrocious goalkeeping? I think it's bad goalkeeping, absolutely. I think it's, I think the keeper comes off too early. What I will give credit to us for beyond just keeping the composure and getting the head on and putting it in is I don't think anyone expected Rapino to hit it that early, especially like on her weak foot. Like she's incredibly two footed and people know that, but like it is technically her weak foot and she's just like, she's got space. Like she can keep going if she wants and she doesn't, she just sees one back and just trusts her and just hits it early. And I think, I don't think the keeper expected that. And I think it caught, caught her off guard to an extent to where she ended up kind of flapping at it. It's not good goalkeeping. It's like, you can't get around that, but like, you know, I think there's another goal in this list that we could talk about the goalkeeping with, right? Like sometimes great goal, sometimes awesome goals, goals that mean a lot to me uh, or to people involve big mistakes. Um, but I mean, I also do think it's impressive when you, the keeper comes flying by and the defenders right there, like they're, it feels like they're obscuring Wombach's vision and for her to still get as clean of a header as she gets onto it and to keep it on target, I think is like really impressive from her. And like, she was amazing in the air. So I'm not surprised. It's an incredible it celebration as well. And and the way that the way that the players, you know, rush towards her 122nd minute, you, you can see, obviously you don't need to be a, any sort of intelligent person to explain the, the value of that moment and the emotion in that goal. Um, but truly an incredible moment and, you know, credit to her for such a great header. Um, before we move on, the last thing I wanted to touch on on that, on that goal specifically is just about the U.S. women's national team in general. Yeah. Because, as you said, doing all the things that you liked in the men's team except just being better than everyone as well. I think the U.S. men's team, and we'll talk about them later as well, are building in the right direction. 
Um, but the women's national team have been at the peak of success in the sport and at the peak of success in this country, in America, for so long um, that there has to be a pressure that comes with that. And yet all of, this, all of the time they seem to deliver nonetheless. Um, what, what does the U.S. women's national team mean to you? And, 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 and how special do you think that group of uh, talented young ladies is? Oh, I mean, everything to me. I don't cheer. None of the other teams I cheer for win anything. Like, <laughs> like the Dynamo have won things like when they first started, but they've been bad for years. Like since then, they had those two MLS Cup finals back to back. They lost both. And then they were the worst team in the league for years. Um, Like they wouldn't know knowing money's going in all that Fulham when we win things I like it's championship it's like the playoffs are winning the championship league and it's like that's great and I love that and those mean a ton to me but I know that it's like it's not at the highest level right like I know that when we're against the actual best teams if we make 10th that's huge right that's a, like our best finish is seven ever like you know like I don't cheer for the men's national team the best we've ever done is quarterfinals in 02 like I wasn't even really watching that world cup like I don't cheer for teams that win things to have a team that's the best at what they do and not to mention they're the best at what they do while having a ton of personality and like singing into the mic Megan Rapinoe picking up the field mic and singing into it after goals and all that, like just all this personality and they're posting crazy Instagram stories and like to do, to be cool. Like they're super cool to do that and win things. Like, I don't, I don't get that from anywhere else. Like they mean, they mean everything to me. There were several goals that, from them that I nearly put on this list, including goals from finals in world cups. We actually won, but like this one was so early on in my like it was early on in my really getting into this sport. And I think it's one of the goal. One thing I think we'll talk about with several of these goals on this list is it's goals that really cemented how much, like why I love this sport and what like that. I love this sport. And I think it playing such an integral part in that, like, just like, it just took it above everything else for me. Like there are, like I said, like several other ones that in world cups, we actually won that are on my list that I have, but th this just had to be the one for me. I love it. So as with all of these goals, these are all going to be in the description. Links to videos of these are all going to be in the description on, on your Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So please check them out. I should have said that earlier on. Uh, check them out. The links are in the description for you to be able to watch these goals. Um, and yeah, that's a great start. There's a yellow card. Now the free kick can be taken. Last minute of the first period of extra time. Be a little bit to add on. Ivan Cavallero is waiting to come on. But Joe Bryant's going to take the full and free kick. He'll curl it left footed into the edge of that penalty area. In it goes. In fact, he catches Ryan and scores brilliantly. Joe Bryant has scored for Fulham. With one of the quickest pieces of thinking you will ever see. What a goal for this stage. The Brentford goalkeeper, David Ryan, is completely wrong-footed by a moment of pure ingenuity from Joe Bryan of Fulham, and they lead by a goal to nil. Okay, so moving on to your second goal, Davis. Um, we go from the US Women's National Team to Fulham, as we've already mentioned, one of your 
huge loves and we go to the championship playoff final of 2020 in an empty Wembley in the midst of the real height of, of the COVID pandemic. You know, this game was hugely delayed um, yeah, it was. by a number of months. Interestingly, on this game, you know, Brentford are the unlucky defeated team who have done so well in the Premier League in their debut year this past season. Uh, but this was a huge moment for, at the time, Scott Parker's Fulham. And it's Joe Bryan scoring a free kick, which I think, again, is a really interesting choice. I think it's going to be interesting to see how many people pick set pieces, be that corners, free kicks. I'm, I'm waiting to see if anybody's going to pick a penalty. I'm trying to think which penalty in sport history might be something that someone chooses. Um, I'll tell you my honorable mention penalty. You want to hear it? Uh-huh. One of my honorable mentions was um, the Netherlands penalty. I think it was Huntelaar against Mexico yes. in the round of 16 <laughs> to knock Mexico out of the World Cup after I and Robin Doe. Really, I'm picking the dive, though, <laughs> if yes. I was picking it. And there's the sadistic side of being a football fan that I was talking about <laughs> earlier. I like it. Okay, okay. Um, well, yeah, we're going to we're going to come back to honorable mentions later for sure. But um, in this moment, you know, Joe Bryan, the hero of the day for Fulham the, in the playoff final. Um, so, t- talk me through your memories of this goal. There were two playoff finals to choose from with Fulham. I only wanted to pick one from the from the two playoff finals I've seen because it felt redundant to choose both. Um, and I would say if I were someone who didn't live across the pond, I would almost have certainly gone with the 2017 one. But as someone who lives over in America, people being or not being in the stadium, people being or not being in the streets afterwards doesn't really affect me. Um, so for me, it was just, we got to beat, we beat Brentford, who I really, really, really wanted to beat. I really could not have taken them beating us to go to up. At least when they went up, it wasn't at our expense. So that was huge. I was in Maryland with my family. Um, this was post my family moving. Um, and it was right when the, basically when the pandemic, when it shut everything down, I was getting, I could not handle just being by myself. So my brother and I got into a car and drove to Maryland and spent six or seven months up there with my family. And we were watching this match in our living room up there again during the pandemic. So it wasn't like we had people over to watch it or anything. And um, I broke my parents' door celebrating this goal. I broke our front door celebrating this goal. Uh, It went in. I quickly did a lap around the coffee table and realized that wasn't going to be enough energy burnt and I ran for our front door it was like open the like main wooden part was door was open and it was like the glass door was there and I went to like bust through it and I just ran into it and the glass didn't break or anything but the spring up was never worth the same again and I like because I like flung it open on the second attempt and I ran out into our front yard and I ran up one way, tripped, fell, rolled, got up and ran back the other way and took my shirt off. And this was just on the street. <laughs> like, and yeah, I, I, oh my God, I was, I had been really critical of Joe Bryan this, that like whole season too. I've been critical of Scott Parker and it was something they had both noticed and worked on. Like they drew it up. It's such a clever free kick to just to notice that and to know the exact right situation to use it. He hits it well. Rhea should probably do better, but 
he's not expecting that. No one's expecting that. Brian doesn't give it away in any way, not with his run up, his body shape, anything. He's looking like he's going to cross it the whole way and just last second opens up and hits it like that. I, it was, I think part of the reason I went so crazy and like broke a door and all that was I just, no, for the life of me, did not expect Brian to score there. Right. I, I knew he could put a pretty good ball in. He's, he's always had a good left. So I was like, maybe we get something on the, on the cross. But even at that time, like Mitrovic was basically on one leg. So like we didn't have a ton of aerial threat that year. So I wasn't, I just wasn't hugely excited about this nothing free kick from 40 yards out. And the fact that it went in just, oh my God, I lost my mind. I don't think I've, that might be the goal I've celebrated the hardest. Like I went ballistic. Obviously the playoffs in themselves are, I think the best way to win promotion and simultaneously the most painful way to miss out on promotion. Um, Losing in any part of the playoffs. And I've got friends who will, you know, be guests on this podcast further down the line who have not had as good experiences in the playoffs as you had. The value of the goal to the club cannot right. be understated. Um, but as a Fulham fan who are somewhat of a perennial yo-yo club, with all due yeah. respect, when you know that the fight to stay up is going to be so difficult, does it affect the joy of celebrating the promotion to the Premier League in the first place? It's been interesting for me because the first time we went up was my first promotion I'd experienced, like in 17, right? And with that one, like, I I knew that the gap was big, but I'm not sure I fully understood how big it was right even though I'd spent the last four or five seasons watching the championship and before that I've been watching the Premier League I'm not sure I understood how difficult it was going to be that first season so I it didn't affect me then and then the second time I knew we were in for it I knew it was going to be rough but it didn't it almost didn't affect my celebration just because I didn't care because we beat Brentford even if we went down it meant they didn't go up that year (laughs) So, so it kind of affected me that year. Like that was in the back of my mind for sure. Um, I was like, it's going to be a fight, but like, maybe we can pull it off, pull off like a 17th. It's going to be defensive. Maybe that's better for the Premier League. You start talking yourself into things, right? Like, like Scott Barger was real defensive, not going forward. And that was really frustrating in the championship, but you start talking yourself into, well, maybe that's better for the Premier League, right? Like whatever. And you start talking yourself into things. And then with this season, like, I just think this team is so much better than the last two the, our, uh, teams of ours that went up. And I trust Marco Silva so much more that I feel a lot better about it. And we won the league too. So it wasn't like when you go up through the playoffs, you know, like, well, there were teams better than us. Who knows? But like we won the league this year and we stormed it. So like, I feel much better this time, but we'll see. Yeah. Obviously the, the free kick itself is one in a million, you know, to, to hit it from that far out and have, and have it go in and there are look at it as a cross come shot that ended up in, in the back of the net. But I think the, the randomness of it is part of the charm of the goal. Does that make sense? Yeah. I know hundred percent. Yeah. And like, it's clearly designed, right? Like it's clearly a designed play that they have. He runs straight to Parker. They talked about it in interviews afterwards that it's a thing they noticed, right? The and thing that's they noticed like, being that Raya would stay away from his near post. Just to yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, Raya's positioning being a thing that they noticed and that they could. They felt like they could take advantage of it. That, but but yeah, the fact that it was just so unexpected in that moment, right? Like you never expect him to shoot there, and I do think that fully adds to it, right? And there's, you know, there's the great shot from behind the goal. I'm sure Bradford fans will disagree. The great shot from behind the goal where you see Raya diving and he looks like he's diving so late, right? The ball's past him, but it's just like, it's 
like you know its angle and where how it's all coming in but like that shot just shows you just how I think it really encapsulates how caught off guard even the players were right like I don't think anybody expected it just watch him diving past it when the ball's basically in at the net already um it's just such a great moment it's such a great moment and the celebrations them all piling on each other on the sideline people coming running off the bench like Anthony Knockart's like right in the middle of it all right like it's sh- if Anthony Knockart was good for us I would love him so much um but <laughs> uh but yeah, no, it's just one of those things where, yeah, I think you're right. The unexpected, the randomness of it just like, it just, it creates like an explosion of emotion in a way that like a goal where they build, 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 build chance, like that you see coming, like you're, you, it's building to that moment that whole time. And then there's like the bit of the explosion at the end that takes it over the top. Whereas this one, it's just like, all right, a nothing free kick. And then all of a sudden it's in the back of the net and you just feel it all at once. L- lastly, just uh, about, we're going to come back to Fulham later on, but a different era for them. So I just want to talk kind of about the modern era of Fulham right now. Mm-hmm. Um, one interesting thing about them, I find, is obviously the the American ownership and Shad and Tony Khan, uh, the Khan family, right. who also famously own the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are somewhat attempting to become London's team in the NFL. And also, for those wrestling fans out there, AEW, um, which is also another kind of... Uh, interesting side venture that they have uh, as a family i guess right my question the wwe is, off the court right now yeah they're trying to for sure and and the i guess the question for me is with the khan family how do you and or other fulham fans feel about them and is there any part that there is maybe a frustration with the fans of the khan family having so many different interests that maybe fulham don't get treated like a priority as they could be by a different ownership group if you ask a bunch of Fulham fans, I think a ton of them will tell you that they wish Tony was less involved. Um, they either wish he was less involved with us or less involved with other things to fully commit to us, right? And they don't like, a lot of Fulham fans don't like how statistical-based our recruitment is. Like, uh, there's like reports that come out that like 90% of our sightings are entirely based on numbers and data and stuff like that, rather, rather than anything else. Um, I do think that's changing a little bit. Marco Silva seems to have a bit more say in the transfers than um, previous managers did. It seems to be like targeting people that Marco Silva wants to an extent, which worked out for us this past year. I personally am not too bothered by the cons just because of the amount of money they're putting into the club tells me that they do care, right? Like the first time we went up under the cons, we spent over a hundred million dollars. It may not have worked. It may have been poorly spended, but they were relatively new owners clearly investing into a club that they clearly want to invest in, right? Like the amount of money they're putting into it to when it comes to river, renovate, uh, renovating the Riverside stand, when it comes to doing that and just the amount of players they've brought in and the kind of names of players they've brought in, even to an extent, like spending all that money on Angisa, who's a excellent player I think maybe wasn't suited for a relegation battle team but excellent player as he's shown at Napoli this past year and just like spin but being going out and spending the money to bring in what are quality players right like bringing in Joaquim Anderson last year and Alphonse Areola and um the money that we spent on when we were in the championship players like 
Cavalero and Knockart, the, I think the idea behind those players was getting guys who are going to be great in the championship and good enough for the Premier League. It didn't work out particularly with either of them that way, but I think that's kind of the idea behind that spending. Um, convincing Mitrovic to stay, right? Like not only bringing him, but convincing him to stay through multiple relegations, getting, you know, going out and spending money to get Harry Wilson and think like all that. Like, it just feels like they're, they want to win and they want to win here and they want to win with us. And to me, that's what the money says. So I'm, I'm not too worried. Like Tony Khan's got other interests. Cool. Like, so does everyone else. Like nobody's, like nobody's just into one thing. Um, I think it would be an issue if he like was the only person that had say on recruitment or anything, but it seems like he's got a team that are running the numbers. He just looks, he like helps them look at the numbers and interpret those. And Silva seems to have a bit of a say now. So now I like the concept. Susie to take it. to the third goal on your list um, we go back to international football and we go to the US men's national team and John to give him his full name John Anthony Brooks but John Brooks as he will be known to most people um, and this is the 2014 World Cup this is a the opening group stage game uh, the USA against Ghana this is the 87th minute and it's a game winner for Brooks header from a corner um, after he had come on as a substitute earlier yep. in the game. Fun fact about him is that he will forever be the first substitute to score a goal in the World Cup for the US. Is something I found uh, in the research for this was that this was the first ever goal a US substitute had scored in the World Cup. Um, and it's obviously a big moment. The emotion in his celebration is is huge and it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. So yeah, Davis, take us back to 2014 and uh, your experiences with this one. So I was working at a summer camp this summer. I was there the entire summer of this World Cup. And many of the matches, I, um, I had people record for me and then I would watch them when I got off work or whatever for the day. Um, this match, though, I wanted to watch because I wanted to beat Ghana very specifically wanted to beat them. They had knocked us out in 2010. They had knocked us out in 2006. Very specifically wanted to beat them. And winning that game was the only hope we had of getting out of the group because Portugal and Germany were the other two teams. Like, just a brutal group. So I actually requested off time. It was a Monday. I remember this very specifically. I requested off Monday afternoon, which is like the worst off time you could get at this summer camp. And everyone was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I want to watch this game. Like, that's like, it's very specifically the only reason I'm requesting this. I almost picked both goals from this game. Like I very seriously considered putting both goals on my list in this game. And by the time this one went in, one of my bosses had come and joined me where I was watching it. And he was sitting with me and he'd never really seen me watch soccer before. didn't really know how much it meant to me. And we're watching and I'm, he's seen me get frustrated with this game. Andre Ayu has scored an equalizer. And that goal goes in. 
you'll notice a theme in my celebrations. I run a lap around the room <laughs> and I kick over a chair, like a big, it's like a big type, big chair too. I like knock it over and I'm running and I'm yelling and he has no idea what is happening. He is so scared. <laughs> like my boss is there just like very, what is going on? When I'm looking at the screen and I see Brooks just collapse in tears on the ground, it like, it got to, like I was emotional. Like it got to me. Um, to see how much it meant to him. It was his first goal for the team. He was young. He had come on for, I think it was Matt Beasler got injured and came off at halftime. And yeah, just to see how much it meant to him um, as well as just it being such a huge goal for our chances of getting out of that group. It's a great header too. Like a really great header. I I, th I think it's uh, interesting because it, I, I'm right in saying it's a Graham Zussi corner. Graham yes. Zussi is someone who divided opinion in my own head for a long time, where there were times when I watched him for the US and I thought this guy's a wizard. And there were times when I watched him and I thought he was a muggle. And I wasn't really sure the in-between with Graham Zussi. I didn't like Graham Zussi because he played for Kansas City. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and he was so good for them. But yeah, um, it's just, what it's just great, hard, outswinging ball. Brooks jumps so high. It's not one of those a lot of times you see on corners one of those headers where they're they're running on to the ball and it's pretty close and it's just you drill it in and like it's from pretty far and he heads it straight down it bounces up under like really good technique in that in that goal and then yeah I think I mean my favorite part every time I watch the replay is Brooks just collapsing onto the ground like just overcome with emotion like he does you can see when he starts running he doesn't know what to do with himself like he's like He's like, what just like he's in shock. He has no idea what to do with his hands. Like he's just so, I think, surprised that he scored that goal. Like it looks like he's shocked that he scored. Not to mention the shock that US fans were feeling. Like nobody would if you would have the odds you could have gotten for John Anthony Brooks scoring in that game, much less scoring the winner, would just would have been nuts. And like Altador got hurt and like pulled his hamstring and had to come out of that game too. So it was like it was one of those things where it's like we were drawing. Ghana was dominating at that point. Like ever since they had gotten the equalizer, they'd been all over us, really. Altador wasn't playing and he had been in great form leading up to the World Cup. And it was just like it didn't look good. Like it looked bad. And if we lost or drew that game, it was probably done. So that going in just like against the run of play to give us a chance to get out of that group, it being Brooks just in general, just what a moment just like what that's a moment that will live with me for just oh my god what a I Jonathan Brooks is forever my favorite U.S. center back and I guess lost in the uh lost in the Brooks celebration but something I wanted to touch on is also the the excitable celebration of the then manager Jurgen Klinsmann who is what a guy. famous for a number of reasons and something that I wanted to just kind of get your take on is what are your memories of the Jurgen Klinsmann era because obviously it didn't necessarily end as people wanted it to um but certainly from my perspective, it felt like progress um, was made with the U.S. men's national team. And do you think the Klinsman has set the U.S. up to have success in the future? He did a couple things really well, right? He was good at recruiting dual nationals, getting people to actually want to choose the U.S. and not just choosing them because they didn't get a shot with whatever team. Like getting people excited about the program. So that was big, right? I think sometimes he relied a little bit too heavily on the German Americans, but he was good at getting recruiting them, which was huge. And then he got us out of the probably the hardest World Cup group we've ever been in. We were in the group with the eventual champions, Portugal, who won the Euros two years later, and Ghana, 
who were fresh off a quarterfinal run. Yeah, quarterfinal run that they nearly made to the semis on if it wasn't for a Luis Suarez handball. Like, that Ghana team was good. I think people sometimes underestimate how good that team was. Um, and he got us out of that group. Like, that to get that's an accomplishment. That's huge. And we had chances against Belgium. I mean, they dominated, but we had chances. So I think those are those two things alone are enough to say it's not a failure. Like, his time wasn't a failure because of those two things. Um, I think not bringing Donovan to the 14 World Cup is a mistake and was a mistake and will always be a mistake. Julian Green just wasn't ready. I know he scored against Belgium, but it was a bit of a fluke and he was 18 and Donovan was just going to bring more to that team, even if it was just in the form of leadership, but also like he was a good player at the time and we need, and he was a goal scorer. We needed goals when Altidore went down particularly. I think he overthought things at times and I'm not sure how great he was tactically, but I think he was a good motivator and he was a good recruiter, which are both big. And yeah, he stepped us, I think he stepped us into an era where we started believing we could compete with the big boys. Ituhu. Dempsey. And Dempsey will try and chip one. Wonderful. Absolutely brilliant. A sensational goal from Clint Dempsey. May well have knocked Juventus out. We're going to move on to goal number four from, from a header from a corner to perhaps one of the most skillful pieces that I've seen in uh, a Fulham shirt ever created. And this is not to uh, neglect those legends like Brian Ruiz and other Fulham talents who have been uh, mavericks. But I guess when you said earlier that Clint Dempsey was your favourite player of all time, we shouldn't be surprised to find a Clint Dempsey goal uh, on your list here. For the fourth goal here, we are looking at the UEFA Europa League Round of 16. I had missed thought. I thought this was still the UEFA Cup at this time, but instead, no, it was the Europa oh. League. Um, and it was Fulham's famous dispatching of Juventus in the round of 16. This is the second leg. They beat Juventus 4-1 at Craven Cottage and 5-4 on aggregate. So for those of you quick mathematicians, you'll understand that Fulham lost the first leg 3-1. And inside of two minutes at Craven Cottage... They were a goal down to David Trezeguet uh, and having a seeming mountain to climb. Uh, but not only did they do it, somehow Bobby Zamora scored and uh, a double for Zoltan Gira and the winning goal to send Fulham through to the Europa League quarterfinals and they would eventually make it all the way to the final is this gorgeous chip from Clint Dempsey, edge of the box, towards the back post, over the goalkeeper and in. And it's a goal that, you know, I've spoken about with you previously. It's it's an incredible piece of skill. Clint Dempsey, probably the most successful US export in, in soccer history in terms of success on, on the global scale. Pulisic's won a Champions League. <laughs> yeah, Christian Pulisic's Champions League, potentially. I think I think Pulisic will probably get there mm -hmm. by the time his career is done. But certainly for now, you know, I think what Dempsey did longevity-wise in the Premier League, Fulham yeah. and Tottenham and everybody else he was with. Um but yes, let's talk about a specific goal. This was newly into, this was like I had recently chosen Fulham. Very newly into it. It was tough to even say, like, it was recent enough to say that when this Juventus match happened, I wasn't even fully committed, right? Like there was like, if Dempsey had left the next day, I would have just followed him, right? I wouldn't have stayed committed to Fulham. It was like, I was more of a Dempsey fan than a Fulham fan at this point. 
so I, I didn't like the Europa League. I was like, cool, it's some European tournament. And like we were making a run in it. And I like I didn't really grasp how big of a deal it was. I was like, I guess this is what we do. <laughs> like, which, you know, is like ignorant American stuff. But like I was raised in South Texas around no soccer fans. So whatever, get over it. Um, <laughs> we'll give you we'll give you an excuse that don't worry. Yeah. Um, so like. Yeah, I didn't really understand how big of a deal it was. I was only even watching this match because I like, like I had forgotten about it. I didn't really paying attention, and I was only watching this match. I got like a push notification or whatever, like, or I was like on Twitter or something, and um, they were like, "Oh yeah, Fulham Juventus about to kick off," and I was like, "Oh, Juventus are big, right? I've heard about them," and I was like, "Yeah, sure, like I'll tune in." And it was like, it had like an aggregate score at the top. And I didn't even really know what that meant. <laughs> like I figured it out as the game went on. I was like, oh, okay. They must be playing over two legs. That's the first, you know, like I put it together. And I think why this goal is on my list is it's one, it's the, just the tech best goal on my list. Like it's just technically the best goal on my list, like pretty easily, I think. Um, two, it was Dempsey. Like it being Dempsey is a huge part of the reason it's, this is on my list. And also it's kind of the moment that I look to as like cementing me as a Fulham fan. Like there's other goals in this run that I think other Fulham fans would probably like at least consider picking, you know, I could like Simon Davies against Hamburg. Like, um, like there's other goals from this run that I are like big momentum goals. that got us to the final, all that, but like this went in and I just remember coming away from this game after that goal being like, all right, well, I'm in. Like, I'm sold on this sport. That was awesome. That was incredible. Like, no, there's not really any other sport that can provide that kind of thing. Um, Dempsey's the greatest player of all time and kind of was just there, right? Like, I was just like, yeah, this is amazing. I'm sold. Like, where can I watch more? Um, Like, it was like that day that I was researching, like, all right, when do what channel do Premier League games show on what times are they generally on like where can I watch Fulham again next where can I watch Dempsey play again next it was yeah I mean that goal's everything it's it's a special goal and I think you know I think for you yourself saying that that's the potentially the moment that solidified you not just as a Fulham fan but as a soccer fan a football fan um you know that that's hugely formative do you think that perhaps let's say it had been scored by another player that it maybe wouldn't have had the same impact as the fact that it was the American Clint Dempsey. I think it's unquestionable. It wouldn't have had the same impact. I think it might've had, like, I might still be a full, I might've still ended up being a Fulham fan because Dempsey was still there. Right. Um, It might've just like taken a little longer for me to really dive into it. There's no way that I would have left that match feeling the same way I did if Zoltan Gira does that, or if, um, you know, Danny Murphy does that or Damian Duff does that. Like, and players that I love, right? Like, I from that era of Fulham. But I, I, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't have the same impact if it's not Dempsey. He's a, he's a small town Texas boy. Like, he's a small town Texas boy that likes rap music and like goes out there and does play, like, likes to play the game in an entertaining, fancy way and try things. And he talks trash and like, he's just everything I want to be, right? Like, like, if I was as, if I was great at soccer, that's who I would play like, right? Like, I would go out there, I would do fancy things, I would unnecessary step overs and flicks and, like, try to go for great goals, and I would talk trash to the other team constantly, like, 
be listening to rap Houston rap music before warm-ups and stuff like and d- he did all that like he just lived the life I want to live like I would just Dempsey is just he's the only player that I look at and I like relate to but I could have done this whole episode with Dempsey calls like incredibly <laughs> easily we could have done 10 and I could have done this whole episode with Dempsey goals where, where do you have Clint Dempsey in the U.S. men's national team kind of all-time rankings? Second. Okay. Donovan. I, I, like, as much as I like Dempsey way more than Donovan, like, Donovan was better for the national team. He just was. Who's three? Because I feel oh, like one and two are fairly – I feel like if you ask most people, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like most people are not saying Alexi Lalas. They're saying Dempsey and Donovan one and two. Yeah. Who's, who's the third? Three and why, why is it not Christian Pulisic? Pulisic could get there. He get he has a few more winners against Mexico in competitive games, in qualifying. He has a good World Cup. That's one thing he's missing so far, not by any fault of his own. He nearly, as a 17-year-old, nearly dragged us there. Um, oh, man, third. My, the first two, here's what I'll say. The first two names that popped in my head were uh, Carlos Bocanegra and Tim Howard. I think talent-wise, like, Claudio Reyna, like Gio's dad, was, oh, buddy, he was good. Um, I didn't get to watch, like, a ton of him, but, like, he was good. Uh, Steve Chirundolo was great for us. Like, as much as I kind of memed on him earlier, like, he was incredible for us. <laughs> like, like, it made us not even have to think about right back for 10 years, 12 years, right? Like, yeah, Chirundolo is going to play there, um, which is crucial. But I'd probably go – I might go Howard just because – the Belgium game and his Everton career. Good old Secretary of Defense Tim Howard. Nice to nice to get him mentioned. One of the air by Boswell. Camargo. Right at the middle for Costley. A step behind the defense. Colin chases. Costley off the post and end. The Dynamo lead two to nothing. best moment in a Dynamo uniform by far. So on to the fifth and final goal on the list. And we are headed to the MLS. Well, I've already misspoken by saying the MLS there. We're headed to MLS. Yeah, Uh, there it is. Yeah, there it is. We're headed to MLS. Um, Surprised it took this long. And we are with the Houston Dynamo. And this was the goal on the list that I had not seen before. Or if I had, it was... Uh, but a distant memory, not one I could recall. So, I mean, yeah, so obviously it's it's going to be linked in the description, but do you want to give your kind of overall introduction on, on this goal, uh, who it was for and why it mattered so much? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So it was an Eastern Conference, it was in the Eastern Conference final um, back when Dynamo were in the Eastern Conference and we were playing Kansas City. We had issues, like there'd been a bit of a rivalry between those two teams all year. The fan base has been going at it. It was just two of the best Eastern Conference teams. Uh, there was a bit of a Brad Davis, Graham Zusi rivalry, like who was the better set piece taker. It was both teams that scored a lot on set pieces who had the better, you know, Brad Davis's, was Brad Davis's left or Graham Zusi's right better. Um, and it was, you know, it was two kind of similar teams, which is, I think, kind of what led to some of the issues that Dynamo teams of that age, of that era, were 
teams that were pretty defensive. They played real narrow. They scored a lot of goals off set pieces. Brad Davis was a massive, massive part of that team and its success. Sporting Kansas City played kind of similarly um, in a lot of ways. Um, they had a really in Collins at that time, who was just like such a hard tackling, hard nosed center back that really caused teams a lot of problems. They had Kai Kamara. Um, they had, um, Graham Zusi was on that team. Matt Beasler was one of their center backs. Um, they were they were good, and I hated them. And we we scored early in the second half of this match. And this was 2011 Eastern Conference Final. We scored early in the second half. Andre Hano put in us off a set piece, put one in Canadian hero. But the goal that I've chose is Carlos Costley's goal. I think it was 88th, 89th minute, something like that. Um, that made it two nil, sealed the win. Um, and there's a lot of reasons I chose this goal. One, it sealed the win, right? So I knew we were going to the final. I knew we had a shot at a major trophy and I knew Kansas City was out of here and we'd beaten them in their own building. Um, so that was, you know, that was a huge part of it. But also just like all the aftermath, the taking off his shirt and the sliding on his stomach celebration to the sideline, to popping up and all the Dynamo fan players being around him and them all doing the rock the baby together. Um, also, all the Kansas City fans, you could see them flipping him the bird and yelling at him in the background. And that's just their pain is very funny to me. Um I also just liked Carlos Costley a lot. I really wanted him to be good. That was only his second goal for the club, and I'm not sure he ever scored again. Um, like, he's just like this random Honduran striker that just didn't – it didn't really work for us the way I wanted it to. I was really excited for him when he came over, and he, he was good for Honduras. Um, at times, I remember having watched him play for Honduras before that. Um I just really wanted him to work out. So when he scored that goal, I was like, all right, well, this maybe is the start of something going into next season, whatever. It was not. But I really, at the time, was very excited about it because of that. And it was just like, it was just one of those things where it was, I, when I was young and casually a fan, Dynamo had won trophies, won titles, and that was cool and great. But now that I was really bought into it, beating them getting to that final was just and knowing we had a shot at it I was just over the moon a big goal for Houston um obviously you're basically your hometown where you're from yeah. in Texas um supporting the Dynamo where does that rank in is is there a ranking between Fulham and themselves is that something that you think about is it is it all parity or is there a a sense of a you know an, an MLS Cup now for the Dynamo, would that mean more to you than it would have done a few years ago? Probably. There's, it's, it's tough. I think there was a time period for sure where I was, I, I cared more about what Fulham were doing than what Dynamo were doing. But I think also some of that had to do with just the Dynamo, which is really bad for a number, like the whole, basically the whole time we've known each other, they haven't been good. Um, <laughs> which has been tough. Um, they're having a pretty good year this year. I've been watching them a lot. Um, been, I've gone to a few matches, um, which has been a great time. I love their stadium and where it is in Houston. PNC is just like, there's literally not a bad place to sit in the entire stadium. It's such a cool place to watch a match at. Um, I've had, and I, you know, some of my favorite, some of my favorite memories and players are Dynamo. Like Brad Davis is probably one of my five favorite players of all time, just from his time with the Dynamo. It was just, 
such a good player, such a good left foot. If he was like, if he was like a guy that was fast and strong, like he could have been a U.S. national team stalwart. Like if it was, if the, if there was a specialized set piece taking position where he just sat on the sideline and came on for that, he would have been one of the best in the world. Like his left was so good. I would say I fell away from supporting the Dynamo for a while. Um, I mean, I, I was still supported him. I was still a fan, but it just kind of was secondary for a few years. But what I will say, what I'll say on top of that is they have some of my earliest soccer memories. They were the first soccer team I was a fan of, like club team that I was a fan of, even if it was kind of casually for a long time. And that this season I've really, the, the past couple seasons, I've really made a concerted effort to, to get back into watching them all the time, regularly, every match I can. With MLS generally, I feel like sometimes, and it feels weird to say this, but people within America look down upon MLS. Certainly friends of mine that I've had, you know, we're talking here a lot about your fandom of Fulham, and obviously you are a Dynamo fan too, but I found that a lot of people in the States potentially don't necessarily show MLS the respect that I think it actually deserves and the improvements, you know, it's a very young league, you know, we're talking 30 years at most that this league's been around um, and what they've been able to accomplish, not just across America, but into, you know, CONCACAF Champions League and so on like that has been pretty impressive as far as I'm concerned with the league itself. Why do you think that MLS is looked down upon by some fans in North America? I think people see these leagues in, um, like they see these European leagues, they see the South American leagues, and they see the format that they're set up in, and they see that those are the best teams, right? They see those are the teams winning World Cups, those are the teams winning, beating us in all these different things, and they think that if we're doing it differently, then we're trying to, we're not doing it correctly, right? Professional sports in America, just sheer from a geography standpoint, is so different right like people will talk about how you don't play every team the same amount of times because of conferences and all that well if we tried to do that then we're trying what are we doing we're flying people thousands of miles across the country to play we've got to fly LA across the country to go play New York at Yankee Stadium two or three times a year like it's just so it would be the travel in MLS is so difficult like it's way more difficult than really any league in the world to travel in MLS and the the different weather you get everywhere. Like people have got to in the same season, you've got to play in a Houston summer and also a Columbus October, October or Minnesota October. And those the, that's wildly different to play in. Right. And the fields are artificial turf or grass and. I think it's a really, really difficult league to play in. And the fact that we get the quality that we get from it is, I think, a testament to how good it is. I think it's a purely from an entertainment perspective, it's one of the most entertaining leagues in the league, in the world. Like, I think like it's just people score goals all the time. The attacking play is really good. It's like very open play. You see a ton of teenagers playing, which is a lot of fun. Um We've seen Philadelphia just cycling through teenagers that they're selling. Paxton Aronson's up next. Brendan Aronson's little brother playing for Philadelphia. You see all these teenagers playing. Uh, I saw a guy, there's one of my favorite tweets is this guy said that MLS rules because you'll see some 17-year-old named Caden Braden Graydon score a uh, world-class banger. And in the same week, you'll see literally Gonzalo Higuain miss a sitter. Like... <laughs> 
it is it is and it is like it's just a such a chaotic fun league um and it's done i think it's made a really smart move to invest in developing its young players and teenagers and turn into just being okay with being a bit of a selling league i, I love mls personally every time every time i'm into it every time i'm watching it, i'm having a great time two things that i want to touch on on mls follows on directly from your point there you know i the skeptic in me says that MLS has been designed and maybe coached in a way to make it uh, attractive to American fan bases. You you mentioned that goals are scored all the time. Um, I think it has one of the highest average goals in a kind of world soccer in terms of goals per game. Um, and I, I think of it as no defense, just vibes. Um, but equally, you know, I think that's tied into the fact that one of the criticisms you hear from North American fans about soccer is there's not enough scoring, there's not enough goals. So I think it, I find it interesting that MLS has a very high goals per game rate um, that maybe some of the other leagues don't have. And then the big news today, again, this is giving away exactly when this was recorded, um, is that MLS have signed a 10-year deal with Apple TV for streaming and broadcasting of all the games with no blackouts uh, through a subscription service, which is effectively... This is going to be MLS's Game Pass. This is going to be MLS's Sunday ticket. Um, I wonder how long before we have MLS goal zone, just like we have red zone uh, for the NFL. I think that will happen very quickly. Um, and maybe you'll see more games being played at the same time as a result to encourage that. But it does feel like MLS is trending in a good direction. Well, my question to you would be, how does MLS's success impact the success of the U.S. national team? Greatly. Huge. I think if you have a league where you can develop your talent homegrown, right? Because it's like, it feels like our young players that get developed not from here, it's a recruiting war. We're having to recruit Eunice Musa. We're having to recruit Anthony Robinson. And we're winning a lot of those battles, which is great. But if you don't have to, if you're just developing Paxton Aronson from the time he's a teenager and he makes his breakthrough in MLS and then he goes on to be successful there and then makes a move to Europe at a younger age or whatever but he's he's been developed here he's born here raised here developed here that's huge right that's people that are not only playing for us because it's a place where they can get a chance to get national team minutes and you know compete and stuff but it's people that are playing for us because this is where they're from like this is where they learn how to play the game this is where they learn to fall in love with the sport and i think that's big like we see when we saw germany make their like talk with bundesliga and make their alignment to try to build a stronger league to build up for the national team and develop players eventually to play for germany we saw them win a world cup almost instantly like or like through that model right and i think this idea like having a strong domestic league where you're developing players where it's if an american's playing there that's not that's fine right that's okay I think that's massive for the national team. I think if it continues developing the way it is, um, and we're already seeing MLS players make huge impacts on the national team. Walker Zimmerman is like a nailed in starter right now. And he's, you know, he's an MLS center back. Miles Robinson has been excellent for us. MLS center back, right? Matt Turner was our best goalkeeper for a lot of the cycle. MLS goalkeeper, well, Arsenal goalkeeper now, but, but you know, was an MLS keeper. So yeah, and like Zach Steffen was developed in MLS. Like we see, I think this is huge. I think it's huge to be able to get a league that can do that. Those are your five goals. Um, just, just to revisit, we'll go top to bottom. Abby Wambach against Brazil. Joe Bryan 
against Brentford, uh, John Anthony Brooks against Ghana, World Cup 2014, Clint Dempsey against Juventus, and then last but not least, Carlos Costley, Eastern Conference Final 2011 against Sporting Kansas City. So you've got three Americans, a Brit and a Honduran, which is a nice spread of uh, three nationalities there to get going with. And yeah, thank you for putting forward the first five Desert Island goals that we're going to have in our anthology. We are going to track these across pod by pod, person by person. We'll see uh, which player ends up having uh, the most. I'm probably going to put a little wager on Lionel Messi ending up near the top of that list. And then uh, we'll track, you know, countries, teams, what minute, you know, does it massively skew towards later goals? I think it probably will do. And yeah, we will eventually, once we've got a good subject size, we'll have a... uh, a little bit of info that we can put out on on what the goals are and uh, and where to find them. So just bef- we are going to talk about a couple extra things, but just to quickly shout out, we do have our social medias. Um, so please follow us at desert.island.goals on Instagram and at digoalspod on Twitter. These will both be in the description on Spotify or your other podcast platforms. And we'll obviously put Davis's uh, social media on there as well. So you can follow along with him uh, as you wish to. So really, the, the two final questions I, I wanted to kind of ask, uh, we, we spoke about this off air previously about potentially there being a goal that should be on there that isn't on there. I think there are many famous goals that are hugely impactful in people's lives. But if you were stuck driving from one place to another, listening to it on the radio, maybe it didn't have the same impact as if you would have been in the stadium or maybe you were at work and unable to watch a goal that everybody else raves about and so yeah Davis was there a particular goal that for you should probably be on the list but just didn't make it based on the circumstances around it oh 100% I think everybody that will listen to this hearing me talk about how much the national team means to me is going to be screaming how is Donovan versus Algeria not on there um, which is incredibly fair. And the answer is that it would be, but I missed it. Um, like I was at a retreat that summer. I grew up doing a lot of summer church stuff and I was at this retreat and um, there were TVs at this, at the place we were at. It was like a boarding school that we were staying at uh, for this retreat. And there were TVs there so we could watch matches when we weren't doing things. And I was always posted up anytime I had any free time posted up a TV watching whatever World Cup match was on. And I was watching this Algeria match with a few other people because they were, you know, watching the USA play. And we're sitting there and we're watching, we're watching, we're watching. And about, I'd say 65th, maybe 70th minute of the match, I had to leave. I had, to go, I had a workshop that I had signed up for that I couldn't just skip because um, one of the, I actually 100% would have skipped it, but one of the adults was in the room watching with me and didn't have a workshop to teach. So they were going to stay through the whole thing and know, would be knowing I was skipping. Um, so I, yeah, I left and I went to this workshop and I come out of it and this adult is waiting for me to tell me what happened. And I don't know if I've ever been sad, at more sad about something I was happy about, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, like I was so happy that we scored and that we won and that we got through and I was so sad that I missed it. And yeah, no, I mean, that goal, not seeing that goal live will forever haunt me. That will follow me around forever. Especially the call too. Every time I hear the call, the like, go, go USA with in the sliding. Oh, it's just, it kills me. It kills me so much. 
Well, Davis, thank you so much for all of this. And then lastly, just, I, I, I know we are sticking to five, but I, I promised that I would give you a chance to potentially go with a couple of honourable mentions of ones that nearly made it on top of Landon Donovan's goal against Algeria. Yeah, yeah, we won't go too in-depth on any of these, but um, main th- one of the main ones I want to shout out is Patium Kasami's goal against Crystal Palace in 2013. Um, that's it's, it's still the best technical goal I've ever seen. Like, it's just an unbelievable goal, and I was in class my freshman year when that goal happened, fully watching it on my computer and not paying attention to the, to the lecture. I mentioned Kearney's playoff winner against Villa up there. If I didn't go with Brian, I would have gone with that. Um, Dennis Adoy versus Darby in the 2018 playoff, playoff semis, just an unbelievable header. I thought about putting Jermaine Joe's goal versus Portugal in the 2014 World Cup just because of how great of a goal it was. Carly Lloyd's half-field goal against Japan in the 2015 final to uh, complete her hat trick and seal the revenge over Japan. And then two just like miscellaneous ones that weren't teams I cheered for that I just were goals that I really liked. Um, Tim Cahill versus the Netherlands in the 2014 World Cup. I love that volley so much. Still think it should have won goal of tournament. And uh, Messi versus the USA, actually, in the Copa America semis in 2016. His free kick that um, made him Argentina's all-time leading goal scorer. I was at that match. And I've always loved Messi. I've always thought he was the greatest ever. And to just like see him put in that, the, uh, the kind of performance he put in in that game to see it live is like, I didn't even care that we lost. Like I wasn't expecting us to beat them anyways. And I got to see the greatest ever be the greatest ever. <laughs> yeah, telling, it just does feel funny, but it, you know, when we're in, a, in 20, 30 years, able to tell our kids and then eventual grandkids that, we saw Lionel Messi live, and I'm I'm fortunate enough to say that I've seen both Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo live. Um, you know, I think that's we're living in a, f- a fortunate era to see those talents, and you know what Messi has done all over the places. I, I like I said earlier, I guarantee you that this uh, this anthology of those island goals will eventually be littered with uh, Lionel Messi's name. I am absolutely hundred percent. Well, Davis, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us. Um, thank you for being the inaugural guest on Desert Island Goals. Um, hopefully you won't be the last. And uh, <laughs> we will, you know, catch up further on down the road. But from myself, from Abby Wambach, from Joe Bryan, from John Brooks, from Carlos Costley, and of course from Clint Dempsey, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I've been Caleb Squires. Davis's social media, all our social media, my social media is in the description. And we'll see you again next time. Mm-hmm.